Word for word, please repeat. Tao. Those two. Adidaityao. Demons in the beginning of creation. Sahasa. Quickly. Bajamana. Being manifest. Atma. Own. Parushao. Prowess. Sabridati. Guru. Ashmasarina. Steel like. Kayena. With bodily frames. Adripati. Two great mountains. Eva. Like. Translation by His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. These two demons who appeared in ancient times soon began to exhibit uncommon bodily features. They had steel-like frames which began to grow just like two great mountains. Please repeat. These two demons, These two demons who appeared in ancient times, in ancient times soon, began to exhibit soon began to exhibit uncommon bodily features. They had steel-like frames, which began to grow, just like two great mountains. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. There are two classes of men in the world. One is called the demon, and the other is called demigod. The demigods concern themselves with the spiritual upliftment of human society whereas the demons are concerned with physical and material upliftment. The two demons born of Diti began to make their bodies as strong as iron frames, and they were so tall that they seemed to touch outer space. They were decorated with valuable ornaments, and they thought that this was success in life. Originally, it was planned that Jai and Vijay, the two doorkeepers of Vaikuntha, were to take birth in this material world, where, by the curse of the sages, they were able to play the part of always being angry with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. As demoniac persons, they became so angry that they were not concerned with the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but simply with physical comforts and physical upliftment. Tavadi dhaityao sahusa gajamanatmapaulushao Babridhati Shmatsarina Kayenadhripati Iva. These two demons who appeared in ancient times soon began to exhibit uncommon bodily features. They had steel like frames, which began to grow just like two great mountains. Mukum Koroti Bachalam Pongam Lagayati Gidim Ajat Kripa Tamahamandi so Prabhupada is <coughs> paraphrasing in the purport. Uh, there's a, this one interesting verse from the Padma Purana, which states, Dwao baut bhuta sargelo keshmin daivasura evacha vishnu bhakta smrito daiva Asuras Tadviparyayaha that Dwal Bhuta Sargalokeshman in this world there are two classes of individuals, of humans, you could say. 
Uh, one is the devotees or the suras, the demigods, and the other are the asuras or the demons. Uh, the those who are the suras, the devas, or godly people, they are Vishnu Bhakta Smritodhaiva. They have this divine nature, godly qualities. Because Vishnu Bhakta, they are devotees of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vishnu. And everyone else who is not a devotee of the Lord, they are called the Asura, uh, the opposite of the Devas, and they are not devotees. So here the distinction is made. Then there are some persons who are in the middle who uh, do not know that their constitutional position is to be a devotee. But they're innocent class of people and when properly instructed or with good association, they will become devotees. But the demons, they never want to become devotee. They are diametrically opposed to the principles and practices of Krishna consciousness. And they shall remain that way. Uh, that is their determination. They have made a hard choice uh, to reject the authority uh, and supremacy of the Lord. This is further explained in the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, we will get to that. First, I'd like to refer to a series of verses that I always like to refer to uh, from the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, text 10. Krishna says, Maya Jakshena Prakriti Sugate Sachara Charam Etunani Nakonteya Jagadvi Parivartati that uh, the material world is working under my direction, Osana Kunti, and is producing all moving and non-moving beings. By its rule, this manifestation, this cosmic manifestation, is created and annihilated again and again. So there, <clears throat> Krishna is, once again, as he does many times in Bhagavad Gita, uh, establishing his superiority and control over the material nature, which is one of his energies. And the material nature is very, very powerful. So the uneducated uh, living entities, bewildered by that material energy, they see the power and majesty of the material energy, how it is <clears throat> evident in this cosmic manifestation in all its wonder and glory. And uh, there's <clears throat> naturally, there is so much wonder and glory in the material energy because it is Krishna's energy. So Krishna is wonderful and all of his energy and his creation is wonderful too. So the material world, it is a very wonderful place. No doubt about that. The problem is that we take it as a playground for our enjoyment. And that is that is what is not as wonderful. And also the material energy 
while appearing to be very wonderful, is also a cruel mistress in charge of punishing the living entities. And Maya, being Krishna's energy and empowered by Krishna, she is so expert in punishing the living entity. She is so expert that no one escapes the clutches of Maya and no one is immune from the varieties of suffering that uh, we are all forced to endure, that we are all subject to uh, by virtue of <clears throat> having taken shelter of this material energy and living in these material bodies. So no one is immune from this punishment that's meted out by Maya. So every single person in the course of their life, they face so many frustrations and inebrieties and difficult situations and embarrassing situations and troublesome situations. And they are unlimited and complex. And then no one can understand, no one can trace out how this is all going on. Why am I suffering like this? Why is this hammer always coming down on my head? Boom! All the time. Why is this going on? Why is this going on like this? Because I do not wish to live like this. I wish to live free and unencumbered by suffering and misery. I wish to be very happy always. But we have accepted the wrong process for becoming happy. Because again, we are taking this temporary cosmic manifestation, which has a beginning, a middle, and an end. We're accepting that as our permanent playground and field of happiness, although it is not permanent. So the more we think that it is our field of happiness and that we can enjoy it, then the more Maya forces us to undergo different types of tribulations. And this is the material condition under which everyone is uh, suffering and wishing that they weren't. Everyone is wishing that they weren't suffering under different, different types of adversities in the material energy, every single person. Yet, um, everyone is, and no one appears to have the answer how to get out unless <clears throat> one comes to understand that one has to take shelter of Krishna. This divine energy of mine, Krishna says, you can't escape it. You can't overcome it. You cannot liberate yourself from it. That's for everyone. But there is an exception. Mam eva ye, prapadyante. The exception is that those who surrender to Krishna, then they can cross beyond. But only those who surrender to Krishna. So for persons who are demoniac persons, they cannot accept that proposition that one has to surrender to Krishna. Why surrender to God? Who is this God? There is no God. I am God. 
Let me surrender to my the dictates of my mind and my own desires. And then by my own prowess, I will overcome everything and become victorious and happy and powerful. Uh, but uh, that is ontologically impossible. Unless one surrenders to Krishna and becomes the servant of Krishna and learns, learns to love Krishna, one cannot escape the clutches of the material energy. Uh, so it is a scientific fact. And uh, you cannot transgress the laws of nature. You cannot negate the laws of nature. You cannot transcend the laws of nature. You cannot become free from her clutches unless you surrender to Krishna. That is the only way. So um, those who are not devotees are those who have accepted the demoniac way of life. Those who think that that which is external is the real thing, then uh, they are forever subject to be doomed to being under the clutches of Maya. So these are the the hard, cold facts of our existence. But it is not all gloom and doom because as soon as you surrender to Krishna, then you begin the process of going back home, back to Godhead. And then you can easily cross beyond. Samasrita ye parapalamaplamam Mahapunyam, Mahapadam Punya Yushomarari Bhavam Badir Batsa Padam Param Padam 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 Yavi Padam Mateja <clears throat> the whole ocean of material existence becomes shrunk up to a tiny little hoofprint of a calf puddle that you can easily cross over that. But samasritaye padabhalava plavam, those who have taken shelter at the boat of the lotus feet of the Lord can cross. So surely we want to cross beyond this abject ocean of suffering that we've been plunged in for so, so long, so many lifetimes, countless, countless years, billions, trillions, so many years that our mind cannot even conceive of the number. Like there's one very great number, it's called Google. A Google is a one followed by, I don't know what it is, a billion zeros or something. You can look it up. <clears throat> That's the word Google has entered the consciousness. Uh, but that's the original meaning of the word. We learned this in our childhood. It's a mathematical concept that's so great that it boggles the mind. Even a million boggles the mind. To be able to count from one to a million, that boggles the mind if you have a million of something. Just like in Arizona, we have millions of grains of sand. But to be able to count them, it just seems impossible. But someday, the material scientists may be able to count all the grains of sand in the cosmos, all the molecules, all the atoms, it says in the Bhagavatam. But still, they cannot go beyond the limitations imposed on our consciousness by Maya, no matter how great a scientist uh, one may become. That's in the tenth canto. Oh, okay.
So, um, and some people, they dedicate themselves to counting or trying to understand various phenomena within the material energy. Like there may be a scientist and his whole life he's studying like the sex life of aardvarks. And that is his focus and his meditation. And he's intensely trying to understand all about the sex life of aardvarks, which is a kind of an animal that lives, goes on the ground and goes in the tree and whatever, and the long nose. <clears throat> so uh, how sad is that, that someone would take that as the goal of life, uh, to understand the reproductive cycle and the hormones and the mechanisms. I mean, come on. You're wasting your time. Uh, there's no actual benefit to that. Uh, but it is knowledge. Uh, we are pursuing knowledge. So Prabhupada was speaking with one. Uh, his name was Professor Gregory Binford from UCLA, physics professor. And I used to read his novels when I was a teenager, science fiction novels, Greg Benford. Good, good science fiction author. And so Prabhupada was talking about science, and Prabhupada was saying, what is the value of some such thing like studying the sex life of aardvarks for one's entire life and becoming a being that way? He said, it is useless. And Dr. Benford said, well, I think that uh, no type of knowledge is useless. But actually that knowledge about, you know, the mechanism of the reproduction of the aardvark, what practical value does it have in terms of advancing one's cause in life, which is to become spiritually realized, to serve Krishna and go back to Godhead? It has no value. But regardless of that, everything that is provided, all the the largesse and bounty that is provided by science and technology can be utilized in the service of Krishna to some extent or another. Uh, this uh, subject matter of the aardvarks perhaps is not very useful. But we can utilize the benefits of, of our technological progress in Kali Yuga to assist us in spreading Krishna consciousness and absorbing ourselves in Krishna consciousness. For example, the computer. So there is so much nonsense on the internet. They have some figure that it's like, I don't know, 80% pornography or something is what the internet consists of. But devotees have a computer, they don't use their computer for that. Right now I have this computer, it's on the Prabhupada uh, Vani page, the Veda-based section, Prabhupada's books. So it is nicely utilized in the service of Krishna. It is very easy to look up things, to search through the body of knowledge that Srila Prabhupada has given us using the computer. So that is a very advantageous thing. Prabhupada used to say, we use, we use the microphone. So ordinarily, what is the microphone used for? To sing love songs, Oh, baby, yeah, 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 um, and so many such things, or to give lectures, 
at the university on the science of the reproductive system of the art park, or to be the news is read and is broadcast. And there are so many ways they use the microphone. But we are using the microphone only for the service of Krishna to advance the cause of Krishna consciousness amongst the living entities who are uh, hopelessly trapped in suffering in this material existence. So we use the microphone to broadcast the glories of Krishna. We use the internet to broadcast the glories of Krishna. So then these things become valuable, become useful, become assets. Um, and they belong to Krishna and they are meant to be used in Krishna's service. And this is the secret of Krishna consciousness, is that everything that belongs to Krishna is meant to be used in Krishna's service. And everything does belong to Krishna. Now the Christians have this misconception um, that the followers of Jesus were asking him about, you know, what about the money? And there's a, the gold coin has a picture of Caesar on it. So Jesus said, that which belongs to Caesar should be given to Caesar. But we say nothing belongs to Caesar. He's stolen everything. Everything belongs to Krishna. So everything is meant to be utilized uh, in Krishna's service. And that um, is real renunciation. And renunciation, where one just walks away from everything that belongs to Krishna and says it's useless. Therefore, let me not touch it. That's called avubhairagya. That's false renunciation or immature renunciation. Because one does not see how everything belongs to Krishna. But the, uh, the preeminent acharya, his divine grace bhakti, Sananta Saraswati Thakur, did not think like that. He thought everything material has a utility in the service of Krishna consciousness. And therefore, when they drew up the logo for the Gaudiya Math, part of the logo included an image of a printing press. Well, you could say, oh, the printing press, that's material. That's, you know, some iron and some steel and some screws and some gears and machine oil and different things. You know, it's a machine. But it has utility, very valuable utility. He highly valued the printing press, which the art of printing, editing, proofreading, and publishing, he learned from his father, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, another great preeminent acharya. Uh, and it is Bhaktivinoda Thakur who is the pratishta guru of the modern age, because it is he who wrote 100 books published, printed, preached, disseminated Krishna consciousness, and trained Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati in all these things. And Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur took the ball and ran with it big time. They had these big theistic exhibitions in Calcutta, these dioramas and these giant tents. They one, one of his theistic exhibitions was took up <coughs> over a square mile of area uh, to attract people to Krishna consciousness. Uh, and they would get so many thousands and thousands and thousands of visitors to see all these wondrous things. And, and sometimes he was so 
uh, determined to push on Krishna consciousness, utilizing the uh, things of this world in Krishna's service, that he would do shocking things. One time he rode into Vrindavan in a, uh, this is in the 1930s, in a very expensive European convertible car with three sannyasis seated in the car with him wearing three-piece suits. So the Saudis were down, they're like, what? They never, you know, you never saw such a thing in your life. Vrindavan, imagine Vrindavan in the 1930s. There were no cars. The roads were, you know, dirt tracks. Even in the 1970s, we were reading in the memories about the devotees who were serving in the Vrindavan temple in the early 1970s. There was one car in Vrindavan, one telephone to make a phone call. Just to Delhi was like this incredible endeavor to go there and get the operator and then wait for the call to go through and then they call you back. What to speak of calling internationally? Now all the all the um, Brijabasi shopkeeper wallas, you know, they all have cell phones. And you can call them directly and make your order just like that, and they can ship it out FedEx the next day. So things have come a long way. But at this time, there were no cars in Vrindavan just tongas and rickshaws, you know, tongas, horse-drawn carriages, and um, ox carts, bullock carts, and rickshaws, bicycle rickshaws, that was it. So in comes Bhakti Siddhanta, speeding into town in a, a, a high-powered convertible with, um, you know, it'd be like a, a kind of sports car that would British, rich British aristocracy would have for tooling around London uh, with sannyasis dressed in three-piece suits, Brook, you know, Brooks Brothers. <laughs> I mentioned Brooks Brothers because I used to, one devotee, his parents gave some money, he bought a, a Brooks Brothers suit and um, he was our sankirtan leader, so I was going out to the airport, so he gave me his Brooks Brothers suit. I wore that suit out. Especially the pockets, from reaching in the pockets to get out the float and make change from a selling book. I wore the pockets out of that suit completely. It was a, you know, a, like a herringbone wool suit. Very nice suit. Back in those days, it was like $150, which was a lot of money. Um, nowadays, a suit like that would cost $1,000 or more. <clears throat> But those things can be, but imagine sannyasis wearing three-piece European suits and ties, sitting up on the backseat of the convertible, riding into Vrindavan in the 1930s. That's wild. But that's Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, making a point that you can use everything in the service of Krishna. Traditionally, the sannyasis wouldn't even wear sun cloth. No sun cloth. No stitching, no tailoring. That has changed. So all these things which we may see as material actually belong to Krishna and are meant for his service. So that is the beauty of the Krishna consciousness movement, which Srila Prabhupada has. It's clear that he is so empowered because he has taken huge, vast amounts of the material energy, huge chunks of the material energy, and engage them in Krishna's service. And this point was really driven home to me 
when uh, Krishna Prema, with his Krishna Vision multimedia presentation, he came to uh, DC and was putting on the show along with Nityatripta. And one of his songs, the Krishna Vision songs, he sings the names of all these different deities in his kind. And then uh, the slideshow shows these deities and their names and the cities they're in. And you see all these Radha Krishna deities, Toronto, Paris, Sydney, Bombay, Dallas, Rome. You see these deities all over the world. You realize Prabhupada has established the worship of Radha Krishna in temples in cities all over the world. It's unbelievable. Formerly, the deities were worshipped only in India. And then maybe sometimes a little bit out of India when you have the Gujarati people who migrated to Africa or different places. They would have some deities, deity worship. But Prabhupada's got Radha Krishna being worshipped in temples in major cities all over the world in some very nice temples and some very beautiful buildings with so many devotees and so many cars and so much of the material energy being engaged in their service, flowers and boga offerings and cooking and restaurants. And just by seeing it all concentrated in that one song, in that one presentation, as you see the deities, Toronto, Dallas, Paris, London, you realize, oh my goodness, he's engaging the whole material world in Krishna consciousness. What an empowered servant of Krishna to do that. That is actually unprecedented. Completely unprecedented. It is almost unbelievable, like Thomas Hopkins we were reading this morning. He was saying it is unbelievable that they're sitting on the table in the storefront where anyone can walk it up and pick it up is the Bhagavad Purana. There were only two copies in America in English, one in Yale and one in Harvard Library. And that was it. And he saw it sitting there and think, I can't believe it. He studied that. He was a specialist. He couldn't get a hold of the books. He had to go to the library in Yale and Connecticut or in Harvard and Boston. And, and you can't even check those out. <laughs> you can't take them home with you. So, but now you can. You can go check out Srimad Bhagavatam and come to the library. And every university now has that, those books. So this is that principle of Yukta utilizing everything. Uh, which belongs to Krishna, in the service of Krishna. And that is what the devotees do. Whereas the non-devotees, the demons, in contradistinction, they want to engage everything, all the material energy, in the service of sense gratification. Therefore, Prabhupada points this out in the purport. The devotees are interested in the spiritual upliftment of society. The demons are interested in material progress but to the exclusion of spiritual progress. Separation of church and state. There is no God. That is, they say this in academia, that God is, is the concept of primitive men. But now we are modern men and we have moved beyond this primitive, foolish psychological need to bow down to some greater power because we realize that we are the power and everything is meant for our satisfaction. This is actually being preached. I kid you not. And this is very prominent in society. Although we may not 
pick up on it because we're too absorbed in Krishna consciousness, <clears throat> fortunately, to pay that much attention to what they're saying in the halls of academia and the halls of power. Uh, but people are very bold to say there's no God and that it's foolish and primitive. To bow down to God, what kind of, you know, they think that it's like villagers uh, in some remote place who don't know anything. They see the mountain, they think it's God, they hear the lightning in the sky. Oh, God is not pleased with us. <clears throat> so they think that spirituality is like that, but they are fools and rascals only to make all these presuppositions uh, and not understand the real facts. Of course, when you read Bhagavad Gita, you can understand Krishna is God, and he's controlling the material energy, and that we are meant to serve and surrender to him uh, as our real business in life. So back to these verses in the ninth chapter. That was just the first verse. You can go on and on and on just on one verse. That was the first verse in the series. Krishna explains in the next verse, 9-11. Avajananti mamutha panushyam tanam ashritam padam bhavama jananto mamabhuta maheshwaram. Fools deride me when I descend in human form. So the fools, they deride God and they deride everything about God. But they do not know my transcendental nature and my supreme dominion over all that be. They do not know that God is the supreme power and that we are his servants and therefore we need to surrender to him for our own benefit. So what is the result of this consciousness of being a mudha and not accepting the supremacy of God? This is the actual result. This is Krishna laying out the science uh, of existence. Mogasha moga karmano. Moga karma vichetasaha. Prakshashim asarim shaiva prakatim mahunim shritaha. That when you're in the grip of Maya and you don't recognize the supremacy of God, then everything that you try to achieve in life is baffled. Although you may think you're making material progress, but ultimately, Mogasha, uh, all your hopes, all your asha. Your hopes uh, to be free and happy. Moga, Mogasha, smashed. Moga Karmanaha, all your freedom activities are smashed upon the rocks of uh, failure and indignation by the material energy. Moga Jnana Vitetasa, even your culture of knowledge, of material knowledge, it has no value and it ends up being worse than if you had that knowledge in the first place. Sometimes we say a little knowledge is a, da is a dangerous thing. So we have a little bit of knowledge, we can make a nuclear bomb. So what do we do? Let's throw it at somebody and blow it up. So that's a disaster. That's a disaster to have all this technological learning and then to use it to kill other people and destroy uh, civilization. But the demons, that's what they're good at. Later on, it says in the 16th chapter, they engage in unbeneficial, horrible works meant to destroy the world. Prophet said this statement presages the creation of nuclear weapons, which are very powerful and damaging. And then all the other products of industry. There's so much industry going on the earth, yet what is the result? So much pollution. 
uh, and people working in factories, living hellish lives. And they're thinking, yes, I'm making a nice living. And they're subject to so much noise pollution, chemical pollution, toxic substances that cause cancer. I, there's just so much inauspiciousness created by this forgetfulness of God. Yeah, that is the prominent direction of material civilization. So to become Krishna conscious means to swim upstream against the current of material civilization and to declare boldly that the real goal of life is to serve Krishna and to develop the spiritual values of life. And demons do not like it. They do not want to hear that because it nullifies everything they do and everything they intend. Uh, so to be Krishna conscious, it is not an easy thing. We're going against the grain, the current. But it doesn't matter what the fools and rascals think. Well, the fools and rascals think this. Everybody thinks this. Everybody thinks it's wrong. Everybody thinks it's wrong to be Krishna conscious. Well, everybody's an idiot. So you're going to do what's right or you're going to do what the idiot thinks. And if the idiots, if they're you know, billions and billions and billions of fools and rascals, does that mean because there's so many of them that we're going to do what they say? An intelligent person doesn't calculate like that. No, an intelligent person calculates, what does Krishna say? What does Krishna instruct to do? What do the Acharyas teach us? That is the real enlightenment. That is the real knowledge. Let me pursue that path. Whether my parents and society approves or not. And I know when I became a devotee, my parents did not approve. Well, I had two sets of parents. They divorced and remarried. One set was like my mother, you know, you know mothers are. Oh, whatever makes you happy, son, that makes me happy. So she came to the temple, took prasadam, danced and like this and kirtan. But whatever makes you happy makes me happy. Well, it did make her happy, <laughs> ultimately. The other set of parents, very disapproving initially, but later they became converted uh, by the power of association and prasadam. They came to grow extremely fond of prasadam and realized that the Krishna conscious lifestyle uh, was actually the best lifestyle, healthy uh, lifestyle. Well, we should have been doing this all along, just like you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You had it right, and we didn't. We didn't understand. So uh, that is the benefit of the Christian conscious movement. It's meant to gradually soften up the materialists and convert everyone to the devotional service of the Lord, the whole material world. So that is all I'm going to present now. Although I had a lot much more, if I had another hour and a half or two. I might get to what I had planned. But since today is the appearance day of Srila Vrindavan, Das Takur, I found something I want to read. I think we'll see if I can find it again. Yeah, there it is. <clears throat> Vrindavan Das Thakur, um, he's the compiler of the Sri Chaitanya Bhagavad, which originally was known as Sri Chaitanya Mangala, 
But when another Vaishnava came out with a book of the same name, the uh, Chaitanya Mangala became known. Uh, Lochandas had a book of the same name. Lochandas Thakuru's songs we sing. So, um, there's a verse from the Gaur Ganesh Deepika which tells about who all the associates of Lord Chaitanya were in Krishna Lila. It says, That Beda Vyas became Vrindavan Das Thakur. So, Vyasadev the compiler of the Vedic literatures, the author of the Bhagavad Purana, which is Srimad Bhagavatam that we study, um, became Rindavan Das Thakur. So he's called the Vyasadeva of Lord Chaitanya's pastimes. Just as Vyasadeva described the pastimes of Krishna in the Bhagavatam, so Rindavan Das Thakur describes the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Chaitanya Bhagavad which you were reading from recently. Wonderful uh, narration. And then things that weren't covered in the Chaitanya Bhagavat, Srila Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami elaborated in his Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. But whereas the Chaitanya Bhagavat is mostly a book of Lila, Kaviraj Goswami's book, Chaitanya Charitamrita, is a great... Uh, scholarly work of philosophy and covers the entire range of Vedic knowledge and reveals Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to be Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So, uh, they're different works. It's not the same thing. Uh, but Kaviraj's book is the most scholarly Shastric book in existence. If you want to understand the philosophy of Vaishnavism, and understand everything about Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Krishna, then you read Chaitanya Charitamrita and quotes verses, all the important verses, all the famous verses, all the big verses from various places are all there quoted and explained in Chaitanya Charitamrita. So, and also one of Krishna's friends named Kushomapida also entered into the body of Vrindavantas Thakura for special purposes, <clears throat> to relish the Leela of Krishna, as was manifest in the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That is very deep. So that's that verse, verse 109 from Gorgonadesh Deepika. So he was born on the Krishna Dwadashi in the month of Vaishaka. In 1429 of the Shaka era, which is 1507 AD. So today is that Krishna Dwadashi. Dwadashi, Dwa means two, Dash means ten. Two plus ten is twelve. Dwadashi is the twelfth day of the moon. Yesterday was Ekadashi. Eka means one. Dashi means ten. So yesterday was the Ekadashi day, fasting from grains and beans. And then today is the Dwadashi, the twelfth day. So this is called the Krishna Dwadashi. And this is the, uh, the waning portion of the moon. So in each month, there's two cycles of the moon. There's a waning portion, in which the moon goes from full down to nothing. And then the waxing portion, where the moon goes from dark moon, um, Amavasha, 
up to full moon, Purnima. And each cycle is 15 days. So today is the Duadashi, in a few days it will be the dark moon. Then 15 more days, there'll be another Ekadashi on the 11th day of the waxing moon as it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And then will be the Purnima, the full moon. So this is the month of Vaishaka. It's called the fortnight of the dark moon. And the fortnight of the bright moon, so each month, according to the lunar calendar. <clears throat> so his mother's name was Narayani Devi, and his, she was widowed while she was pregnant with uh, Rindavan Das Thakur. And she had gotten the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu eating his remnants as early as age four. Um, and she was the daughter or the niece, she was the niece of Srivas Pandit, Srivas Adigaur Bhaktavinda, Srivas Thakur, um, who had an elder brother named Srinalini Pandit. So Kavi Karnapur has mentioned her name also in the work, Ganesh Deepika. She was Kinimbika, um, who used to eat Krishna's remnants uh, in Krishna Leela the younger sister of Krishna's nurse, Ambika, who was Srivas Thakur's wife, Malini, and Mahaprabhu's Leela. So she became Narayani, and she achieved fame because she received Gaurasindar's mercy when he gave her his remnants. Uh, when the Lord displayed his Mahaprakash at Srivas Thakur's house, Narayani was only four years old, but the Lord made her intoxicated with the ecstasy of Prima. So Vrindavan Das Thakur was said to be the initiated disciple of Nityananda Prabhu, the uh, last disciple of Nityananda Prabhu. So he's a great devotee of Nityananda. So there's a lot about Lord Nityananda in the Chaitanya Bhagavan. And um, because he received the blessings of Nityananda, he's the original Vyas of Lord Chaitanya's pastimes. That's from the Chaitanya Church in Rita. And he wrote his Chaitanya Bhagavat in 1535. And there are some verses in the Chaitanya Church in Rita written by Kavaraj Goswami, which describe Vrindavan Das Thakur. I'll read those now. This is from the Adi Leela 11. Just as Vyasadeva compiled Lord Krishna's pastimes in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Thakur Vrindavan Das depicted Lord Chaitanya's pastimes. His Chaitanya Mangala, or Chaitanya Bhagavan, annihilates all misfortune. From it, I learned the wonders of Lord Chaitanya and Nityananda and came to know all the most subtle doctrines of devotional service to Krishna. Vrindavan Das Thakur has summarized the essence of the teachings of Srimad Bhagavatam in the Chaitanya Bhagavatam. If even a Muslim or an atheist should listen to Chaitanya Bhagavat, he immediately becomes a great Vaishnava. An ordinary human being could not have compiled or composed such a sublime work. Lord Chaitanya himself has spoken through the mouth of Vrindavan Das. I offer millions of obeisances under the lotus feet of Vrindavan Das Thakur, who has delivered the entire universe through his book. He was born in the womb of Narayani, who internally enjoys Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's remnants. How wonderful is his, is his description of the activities of the Lord 
simply by hearing which the three worlds have become sanctified from Adiwila chapter 8. Vrindavan Das was so absorbed in the description of Lord Nanda's Leela that he did not elaborately relate all of Mahaprabhu's activities, only summarizing them in abbreviated form. Krishna Das Kaviraj then elaborated on these undescribed activities in his Chaitanya Charitamrita. So we'll stop here as a time constraints. Any brief discussion? Baby, tell me uh, that when she was touring with that Krishna vision of all her deity, that was that experience was the seed of her latest discussion where she went to every place. Darshan's a big coffee, yeah. ta- coffee table book, yeah. or nectar table book, yeah. with all the photos of the deities. Yeah, and that, that was like the perfection of Darshan for her, just going in her, in her service as a carved this ecstatic manifestation of Krishna consciousness worldwide out of the material energy and offered it at Krishna's love to speak. It's because it was his desire Krishna had to let him do it because Krishna wants to go We are so fortunate to appear historically at this time and to be able to be part of this movement. We are so fortunate. Talk about lucky. Everything is good now. Anyone else? Okay, thank you very much.